If you do have a Bible, I invite you to turn to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. If you don't have a Bible or a Bible app, uh, we do have Bibles underneath the chair in front of you, and so grab one of those. And uh, if you are using that, turn to page 906. 906. And we're going to look at verses 28 and 29. Just two short verses. Um, but if you've been following with us online or you're new to our church, we've been looking during this Lenten season, we've been looking at the last words of Jesus, specifically seven last words of Jesus as he hung on the cross. And we're on the fifth word of Jesus, so that means we've been, we're on the fifth Sunday of Lent. And as we've been sharing each week, we, we've recognized that it's not just enough to know that Jesus died on the cross. As followers of Jesus, or if you're interested in this faith, we have to know why. And I think as we've gone through these final words of Jesus as he hung on the cross, they actually give us a window into why it was so important for him to go to the cross and die for his creation. And so we're looking here at the fifth word, which is, I thirst. And so read along with me, just two short verses, and then we'll dig in this morning. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you and we thank you uh, for the opportunity for us to be able to reflect on these words that your son uttered from the cross. And so, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us this morning after being or after experiencing the good news that we are forgiven, that there is no shame for those or no condemnation for those who are in Christ, that we want to be instructed by your word to be transformed. So do that good work, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So I learned a new word a few months ago, and it wasn't from Wordle. It was actually from a podcast that I listened to a few months ago, and the word is this miswanting. Maybe some of you are familiar with it, maybe you're not, but this word was coined by the psychologist Dan Gilbert, miswanting. And the essence of what this word means is that we tend to overestimate just how much joy a future purchase or achievement will bring us. Now he, in his research, he, in his paper, he uses an example of a donut. And I think a lot of us can relate to this. This is what he writes. When we say we like, we like this donut, we are letting others know that the donut currently under consumption is making us feel a bit better than before. When we say we want a donut, we are making an abbreviated statement whose extended translation is something like, right now I'm not feeling quite as good as I might be, and I think fried dough will fix that. Statements about wanting tend to be statements about those things that we believe will influence our sense of well-being, satisfaction, happiness, and contentment. Hence, when we say we want something, we are more or less promising that we will like it when we get it. But we sometimes get what we say we want, and we feel entirely unhappy about it. That's what miswanting is. And I know for a fact that for every single one of us here in this room, whether you are a child or you're a grown adult, we have all experienced this miswanting. 
Now, I have experienced just recently this miswanting when on Christmas Day, we surprise our kids with a puppy. Now, I grew up with no dog in my family, and so I always imagined that I'd have a wife and kids and a dog with us. And so when my wife finally said, okay, we could get a dog, I was thrilled. It was this desire and want that I finally was going to experience. And when we got it, I've regretted it ever since. <laughs> I mean, so, so much so. Last week on spring break, it was the best time of our lives because our dog was not with us. There's just so much. I know there's some of you dog lovers that are just like so angry with me right now. But it's the truth. This is Miss Wanting. I thought I would want a dog. And now that I've gone through that gate of having a dog, I don't experience the happiness and the joy that I thought, that I thought a dog would bring me. Now my kids are angry that I don't even say that. But this is what Miss Wanting is. Oscar Wilde, even before Dan Gilbert coined this term as wanting, he knew what he was talking about because this is what he said. He said, quote, in the world where there are only two, tra in the world, there are only two tragedies. One is not getting what one wants and the other is getting it. And this is this idea of miswanting. We've longed for things and we realize over and over and over again that we are always left dissatisfied discontent. So what's the answer to miswanting? Well, I think we find it here in Jesus's fifth word on the cross, I thirst. And as we look at this word and reflect on it, I just want us to be able to just reflect on three aspects of what Jesus says. First, that it reveals his humanity. Second, it reveals his authority. And lastly, it reveals his love for us. So first, let's look at how it reveals his humanity. Calvary points to a thirsting God. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. That Calvary points to a thirsting God. I thirst are uttered from his lips. And these are the only words uttered that actually speak to his own personal suffering. All the other six words are about his relationship with his father, with the act and the work that he was accomplishing on the cross and his relationship with his creation. But here in this one word that is uttered of seven, he actually addresses the personal suffering and physical suffering that he goes through. It's easy for us to spiritualize or even over-spiritualize what the cross represents, right? We looked at that when we first began this sermon series about the importance of the cross. That there's a physical nature. It's not just that sins are forgiven, but Jesus physically, in his humanness, suffered. Not only do we think about the excruciating pain as the nails are driven through his hands and through his feet, but as he hung on that cross, think about how his lungs collapsed. And for him to even be able to take a breath required him for him, for him to pull himself up to take one breath before he would fall back hanging on that cross. But what we don't think about is just the sheer physical exhaustion that the cross demanded of Jesus and anyone who died of a crucifixion. Here's what one scholar said about this physical exhaustion. The countless hours spent in the sun, coupled with the physical pain he was feeling, would have created mild if not severe dehydration. Jesus speaks of his own thirst out of a real human need for sustenance and relief, 
On the cross, Jesus is physically thirsty. As he utters these words, it reveals his humanity for his people. When we think about the basic human needs, like water, shelter, food, sleep, and the clothes on our back, we see Jesus deprived of such a basic human need from the cross. And it's displayed here, his humanity on the cross. Yes, God is fully God. Jesus is fully God, but he was fully human. And we hear his cry for the most basic of all human needs, water. I think this is why Christianity is so different from any other religion. Jesus suffers. He physically suffers. And that's why he can empathize with our weaknesses, whether it's our physical needs or longing for love and belonging and acceptance, longing for forgiveness, these basic needs that we all long for, Jesus can empathize because here we realize that his humanity is on display as he thirsts. And that's why we pray for things like what's happening in Ukraine. Because in an instant, their lives and their basic needs were stripped away. And as much as we long for the gospel, for them to recognize, for people to recognize their brokenness and their sin, we also realize that what Christianity offers is that our bodily, physical, physicality matters just as much as our spiritual. And Jesus is able to empathize with our thirsts, for our longings, for our desires. But furthermore, I think in this Lenten season, I know some of us might practice in the Lenten season this desire to forsake some of our needs, right? To fast from certain things, to deny ourselves of certain things. And Lent can become just kind of this personal thing between you and God, and you want to grow in that, and that's good. I think what's lost in in the Lenten season is this desire to think about the other, to think about neighbor, those that are on the margins, who are craving and longing for love and acceptance and to be seen and heard, who are in the margins, who are invisible. Who are those people in your lives, whether in your workplace, at your schools, for our students, in your neighborhood, where we can meet them in their needs, in their thirsts, To be able to say this gospel is bigger than just your salvation and your soul, but also your physical needs as well. Our community groups have the opportunity to do that. For our CG leaders, we got an email from our Pastor John about how loaves and fishes, this shelter and pantry, needs a hundred or more than a hundred Easter boxes. What a way for us to take our eyes off of ourselves and our own needs and to be able to bless a community that is thirsting and needing the good news of Jesus. While it's important to see Jesus' humanity, it's also not just, that's not the full picture here. It's true we see his humanity and suffering, but there's so much more going on in his words. It reveals his authority. It reveals his authority. John actually makes this clear when you actually look at verse 28 before he utters these words, I thirst. Look at how John describes his words. After this, in verse 28, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture. Now, what scripture is Jesus fulfilling? 
Well, some will argue Psalm 22, 15. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. This psalmist is talking about being parched. His tongue is literally sticking to the jaws of his mouth. Some will argue that's what Jesus is quoting, but I think most likely what Jesus is quoting is from Psalm 69, verse 21. And here the psalmist writes, They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. Now, whether it's Psalm 22 or Psalm 69, don't miss the fact that what's important here is that Jesus was in full control and was very mindful of the plan of God as he fulfilled Scripture, right? Imagine, Jesus is hanging on the cross, and what comes to mind? I must fulfill Scripture. Remember last week when Pastor John preached? He preached on this aspect of how there was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and they together planned the way for redemption to happen in this world. And here what we see is the same exact thing. This was the plan of God. When Jesus cries out, I thirst, it's to fulfill Scripture. He is not speaking from some human mortality and weakness, although he is. He's also speaking from the sovereign control and authority. This was the mission and purpose of God, and he is very much aware of his divine destiny. This is the way that John has always, the Gospel of John, the writer, has portrayed the Jesus throughout this entire narrative from beginning to end. In John 10, what does Jesus say? John records, I laid down my life for the sheep. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. Jesus doesn't say this because out of just this desperate need. He says it because he is in full control and has all authority as he dies in thirst. This is what Fleming Rutledge, an Episcopalian priest, and we've been quoting her throughout this series. This is what she says. The crucifixion is not an accident, not a mistake, not an unfortunate slip-up. It is the deliberate self-offering of the good shepherd. And so when he says, I thirst, it is to show that he is fulfilling his purpose according to the plan of God from the beginning. Jesus was in full control as he thirsted and died. Think about the implications for us in the midst of suffering, in the midst of uncertainty and disaster in your life, in the midst of doubts, whatever might be going on in your family or in your home, in your workplace, do we believe that God is in full control and has all authority? Jesus is hanging, dying on the cross, and what you see on display is his authority over all. But yet we doubt that he's in control when we lose control. We doubt and uncertain that we, we are uncertain that he is powerful when we are powerless. But might I suggest for us to continue to look to the cross because here as Jesus suffers and dies in his humanity, we also see his deity and authority on display so that we don't have to doubt. In the worst moment of his life, we see his full authority on display.
But lastly, as we look at Jesus' words, we, fee, we see that he reveals to us his love for us. His love for us. This is the only count, account in all of the four Gospels where we see this word, these words being uttered, I thirst. Matthew, Mark, and Luke do not record this. But it makes sense that John would. And you know why? Because the theme in John's Gospel is that he talks about this living water over and over again in the Gospels, in his Gospel. Take, for instance, John 4. Jesus encounters a Samaritan woman. Now, this Samaritan woman is full of shame from her own past history and her story, but also because of her identity as a Samaritan woman. She goes to draw water for her family at the hottest time of the day. No one does that. But she does. Why? Because she wants to avoid people because of the shame that she experiences. And so she goes thinking that no one's going to be there because it's so hot. But who's sitting there at the well? It's Jesus. And as Jesus sees her approaching, he asks her for water from that well. But as he describes the water from that well, he also describes of another water. And let me share with you or read with you what, what Jesus says to the Samaritan woman. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give will never be thirsty again. The water I give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And then in John 7, and we actually um, heard this as our call to confession this morning, but Jesus is speaking to the crowd at the feast, and this is what he says to the people. He says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Throughout the Gospel of John, we see Jesus speak of this thirst and of this water. Why? Because Jesus speaks of thirst because we all have longings in our hearts. We all have wants. And this is the miswanting I began with this morning. We search and crave for longing and meaning and significance and happiness, but nothing we realize ever satisfies, right? I mean, you know the song from the Rolling Stones, you can't get no satisfaction you can try and try and try but we realize even for the rolling stones with all that they had they can never find satisfaction it's futile to seek for it it's frustrating and as oscar wilde reminded us it's it's a tragedy a tragedy because when you get what you want it still leaves us dissatisfied and it leaves us craving for more but this is where jesus's words reveal his love for you and me He knows that everything we pursue leaves us thirsty. Nothing will ever satisfy. This miswanting leaves us hopeless and actually it leaves us cynical, doesn't it? We're in a culture where we're living it out with with social media and technology. We think that the next thing will finally give us that hit that will satisfy us. But we, leave, we realize that this generation is so cynical, so anxious, so depressed because nothing in this world satisfies. So what does Jesus do for us? He thirsts for us so that we will never have to thirst again. As one pastor said, the Savior of our souls is also the satisfier of our souls. 
the one who had all the water and the rivers and the seas to quench himself, denies himself of all, and and instead receives a jar full of sour wine. The soldiers dip that sponge into that jar and hold it to his mouth. This was the cost for our Savior so that we might never have to cry out in thirst like Jesus. He was destined to die a thirsty death. So when Jesus cried out for water, what was he given? Sour wine. And when we, in our generation, cries out for sour wine, what do we get? We get living water. Not because of anything we've done. Not because of what you have accomplished in your life, but because of Jesus' sacrifice and death on the cross. Do you know what the last command of all of Scripture is in the Bible? It's actually written by John, but it's not in the Gospel of John. It's in Revelation. It's in Revelation twenty-two seventeen, And hear, these, the, hear the last command in Scripture. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. In other words, the last command in all of Scripture is, come and drink. It is this beautiful picture of Jesus sitting on the throne. And from the throne, the river of life flowing out in the family of God, in the new heavens and the new earth, coming together, being invited to come and drink and never thirst again. That is why Jesus is the satisfier of our soul. No relationship, no watch, no friendship, no house, no car, nothing in this world will satisfy, only Jesus. And that's why we can hope in the new heavens and the new earth, will there be no more disappointments, no more miswanting, no more dissatisfaction, no more discontentments, no more addictions. Jesus cried out, I thirst, so that we will never have to be thirsty again. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and we thank you that you are the satisfier of our soul that it was because of your sacrifice and your suffering on the cross that, Lord, we will never have to thirst again. So, Lord, help us to believe in that. Help us to live it out so that, Lord, we might be able to be people of contentment, of joy, of satisfaction. When the world out there is looking for that, Lord, help us to be light so that people would be able to see that, Lord, we have something that is absolutely beautiful and absolutely satisfying. Do that good work even as we come to the table now, that we might not only be strengthened in our hearts, but that we might actually be satisfied as we eat and drink together at the table. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.